Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Health X Audio. I'm your host, Theodora, and I am once again joined by my co-host, Adrienne. Hello. So last week, we talked about health literacy as well as mental health due to our infographics. And so we'll be moving on to new topics this week. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. And if you're coming back from the last episode, welcome back. We're so happy to have you here again. So uh, what are we talking about this episode? This episode, we're talking about disabilities and discrimination against disabilities. Because in the U.S., October is National Disability Employment Awareness Month. And we're also going to be talking about skin conditions because that's what our infographics are focused on right now. All right. So let's get started with our first topic, invisible disabilities. Let's start with the definition, Theo. Yeah, so according to the Invisible Disabilities Association, invisible disabilities is a broad term and simply describes symptoms that cannot be seen to the naked eye, such as dilapidating pain, fatigue, cognitive dysfunctions, brain injuries, learning differences, you know, things that we can't really see, um, including sensory disabilities like blindness and deafness. So in our last podcast, we actually talked about mental health issues, uh, but we won't focus on them here. But as a note, they are actually another form of invisible disability as well. Yeah, we really enjoy talking about mental health issues since they're so important. But invisible disabilities are are so unknown and so misunderstood in common media. So we wanted to focus on that here. I was particularly inspired by the artist Bunny Blues, who writes about her chronic pain in her comics. This artist deals with chronic pain, which, like it sounds, is a persistent pain in one area over the whole body. Similarly, another invisible disability is multiple sclerosis, in which your immune system attacks your brain and spinal cord, causing coordination issues, vision loss, pain, and or fatigue. So as you can tell, both these issues are very difficult to deal with, but people it's not obvious to people who look from the outside. So you shouldn't make, you shouldn't pass judgments on these people because people can often mask their pain. And people do this even when they don't have disabilities. So think about times where you didn't want your friends to know you were in pain or you were dealing with something. So the lesson here is to not make judgments on people who have disabilities, even if they don't look like they're dealing with a lot. For sure. Um, I think oftentimes we kind of judge people who park in disabled spots if they don't come out in a wheelchair or need like a walking aid and I like appreciate the thought that like you know you don't want someone who doesn't need a disabled parking spot to take up a spot that someone may potentially need but like you know this is like making an assumption about someone else because as long as they have a disabled parking permit I think you shouldn't be judging them too hard because you know like they might suffer from something invisible like chronic pain which means that they can't walk for too long or like any other disability that you may not know about. Um, I actually follow this uh, TikToker who has this uh, condition where she can walk most of the time, but sometimes she gets shooting pain down her legs, which means that she can't walk anymore at those points. And oftentimes when she like goes to Walmart or any shopping center, people judge her heavily for coming out of the car without needing a walking aid, even though she does in fact need to park in a disability parking spot because um, her like leg pains can act up at any second. And I think another thing that we can compare this to is that, like, we don't know, uh, like, peop- like the intensity that people have, like, the intensity of the disabilities that people have, and, like, we don't know what people are going through. Like, even with things like vision or hearing issues that everyone, I think, has a general sense of, like, you know, Daredevil, you see him, or, like, different, like, media representations of people with hearing and vision loss. Um, I think that even with them, like, These issues vary with intensity and people with hearing aids have different forms that we may not know about. So it's best not to judge other people 
and you know let them talk to you about their own personal perspectives and if anything you should educate yourself so that you can understand their perspectives more and be more empathetic towards them but remember like your education does not trump their experiences so like don't go about being like oh yeah i know how you feel you probably feel like this or like you should feel like this because you know like you're not the one experiencing the disability so you shouldn't be the one talking about the experience Yeah, let, dis let disabled people talk for themselves. And also remember that invisible disabilities aren't limited to like physical problems. They also extend, like we said, to mental health issues, but also to, also to disorders like autism and ADHD. Let it be known these aren't like illnesses. These are beha just behavioral differences, different ways of being. And I've only recently started to educate myself on these topics. Like Theo said, it's really important to educate yourself so you understand other people. And even though I've grown up with people who have ADHD and autism, it made me understand a lot more about their experiences and the difficulties they face in society, especially in schools and in workplaces. So have you learned anything new lately, Theo? Well, not particularly in like invisible illnesses or like ADHD recently, but I have learned that um, it takes 11 muscles to frown and only four to smile so you know turn that frown upside down because you're exerting less energy when you smile oh, i have to put that to the test yeah and you know like back to the point before we should always always try to educate yourself because we have different prejudices that we need to work on and i hate to say this but i think all of us are just like a tad ableist um if you don't know what ableism or being ableist means it means that we have mm -hmm. discriminations or like discriminative prejudices against people with disabilities and like even if you like think on the surface oh i'm okay with people with disabilities like i think we grew up a little socialized to hold some prejudices towards people so like we all have kind of prejudice on like some level and like we have to remind ourselves that like i think most of us before learning about invisible disabilities thought of disabilities as just simply people with like mobility issues um and we forget there's a whole nother sector of people who suffer from different problems that need accommodations for and that we need to be more sympathetic towards and i think that we should all work towards you know improving our understanding towards different forms of disabilities so that we can create safe spaces and make like simply existing for people with disabilities easier so like moving forward we can have a better future and like more inclusive areas for these people to exist in so now that we've introduced invisible disabilities on like a surface level, we would like to talk about invisible disabilities in a more specific manner. To get even more specific, we want to talk about the struggles of having an invisible disability in the workplace and in academia. According to Silvia Bonaccio of The Conversation, people with disabilities are the most un underrepresented equity group in Canada because of the fears that accommodations are too expensive or that people with disabilities won't be able to do their jobs as well. So this prevents people with invisible disabilities from reaching out for the help they need from their workplaces. These fears aren't unfounded. For instance, people with invisible disabilities often need more work days off to go to, to, go to doctor's appointments or just if their pain or their condition gets really bad. I don't know about you, Theodora, but I've had managers who went crazy when I had to take an unexpected day off. Well, I can't say I've had a terrible manager because I don't have a lot of work experience, but I've had experiences in the past where teachers and profs have been really, really mean about me having to get an extension for a mental health day or simply like having to go to like the doctors for something. So like, you know, I kind of get it. 
Yeah, no, I've had terrible managers. Like, they'll call me and be like, why aren't you here? Or even I had a friend who, like, their manager just went off on them because they something came up last minute. So I can imagine how difficult it would be for someone who, you know, can't control that because of their disability. Well, that's the downfalls of capitalism, I suppose. Like, they want to get the most out of your workday, I suppose, you know? Yeah, it's terrible. I cannot imagine what it would be like dealing with that when you're struggling with, like, if you're someone with, like, an invisible disability, such as someone who has chronic pain that sometimes flares up, or, you know, someone who has, like, a learning or mental disability that they just cannot control. I do think some jobs are better suited towards accommodating disabilities than others, such as jobs that work with special needs children and people who need accommodations in general, like, are more lenient since they, you know, get it, like... If you're a teacher who works with special needs students, I think your workplace is more than often more understanding when you can't, you know, go to school due to like an emergency or things like that. And they won't be as mad about it. But honestly, like in general, most careers have pretty poor support and we should like be working towards making each career accessible. So what do we mean by support in the workplace? So there are many different kinds, like the first ones that come to mind are the ones we see in the city like every day, like wheelchair ramps and like accessible bathrooms. But even these aren't very good, to be honest, like ramps can often be too steep that the wheelchair can't go up them or like in the bathroom, the sinks will be a little too far up or a little too in the wrong place so that people with wheelchairs can't access them. So we really need improvements in these accommodations, but also a lot of accommodations aren't really that expensive or don't require a lot of work to implement. Like for example, flexible work schedules, that's an example of a support that would be helpful for people who need to go to doctors, to the doctor more often than others. But there's also things like proofreading a dyslexic person's reports or providing written instructions for people with memory issues instead of verbal instructions. Those are easy supports to implement in the workforce. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, I think if employers were just willing to, you know, do a little bit more research into different types of accommodations, they wouldn't have to be too worried about shelling out like thousands or millions of dollars to like accommodate people because frankly, some of these accommodations could be done very simply. And it does make me think about how like abled workers um, can help their coworkers with disabilities. So anyone who's like neurotypical or does not need like a wheelchair, for example, can help um, their coworkers who need help. Even for someone like myself who is able, neurotypical, like I'm not sure where I'd be without the support of my friends and families in difficult times. Um, for example, um, uh, in one of the clubs I'm working at right now, I'm planning a conference, and my co-conference VP who works with me, she supports me in accommodating me due to my time differences and different things like that. So, like I'm sure in the workplace, it would be like not that hard for people with disabilities to be paired up with a coworker that can help them and things like such as a person with memory issues like a coworker could help them take notes or something like that so that they have written instructions later on to help them remember the verbal instructions that they may have forgotten how can you help people with disabilities in your workplace like i think a good way to help would be to advocate to your employer like tell them that you know your friend or your coworker needs accommodations and it would be best if they accommodate them because that way your coworker can have a really good output in work as well. So, you know, like when in doubt, appeal for capitalism, appeal to capitalism. If your employer wants more money, like that's a way to do it, I suppose. Or like you can do the simple things like offer to switch shifts with your coworkers when they need a day off unexpectedly and just like be there for them in general. Like 
and I know, like, even though you should be helping out, you know, for the sake of being a kind, great, generous person, like, it also pays off to help your coworkers because they'll often repay the favor and, like, take your shift when you need time off next time. So, you know, it's good to have a good, like, it's nice to, you know, help out your coworkers for, like, like getting something back, but it's also just nice to have a good working environment for everyone there anyways. Yeah, it reminds me how grateful I am for the help here at HealthX Audio, too, because we all have our different roles. I know UCO makes the promotional videos, manages the website, and a bunch of other things. And Celia edits the podcast. Hi, Celia. You're probably editing this right now. And she gives us a critique. And I do my part by writing and editing the videos. It wouldn't work if we didn't help one another and support one another. And creating a good um, environment here makes it a lot easier. So let's move on to disability discrimination in academia. The National Educational Association of Disabled Students reported that even though post-secondary institutions are required to accommodate disabled students' needs, there aren't federal or provincial standards to enforce them. Wow, I did not know that. And I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I know you have to have support systems, but like I can see the inconsistencies in how they are reinforced. Like. A very simple example would be how prof- different professors addressed like disabilities across courses. Like I have a friend who had a prof who was really accommodating and allowed her to, you know, like take extra time or like submit things late due to her anxiety. But then her other prof like would just be like, oh, if you didn't submit it on time, too bad. And even though she had like disability accommodations from disability services and like I know how much disability services can, like, cost a school, I suppose. So, like, I cannot imagine what a school with less funding might have for students, um, considering, like, they probably don't get as much money as a big school like U of T may have. And, like, for example, um, last year, U of T had, like, this opt-out option for student programs, so students could choose not to pay for different clubs and I could see how that affected all of us clubs because in a lot of clubs that we were in we had like a much smaller budget and we couldn't do as much activities so like once again like schools with less funding may not have as much support as bigger schools and I just cannot imagine how students can like go through that especially since there's no standards and like props can do whatever they want in those certain cases and you know like now with COVID times like it gets even harder because people are learning online and some people can't learn very well through online means. And there's just so many different factors that affect online learning, such as internet issues, like time zones. Like personally, I'm in Taiwan, so you know, I'm 12 hours ahead of Toronto. So oftentimes I have to take classes at 4 a.m. or I go to meetings at 5 or 6 a.m. And like, I've had profs who are really nice about it. I had a prof who let me take my tests at a different time over the summer, but I've also had profs who were just like, too bad, you missed this test or like too bad, like, you can't accommodate this time. You have to wake up at 3 a.m. to take this test or you can try taking this class next year, which is really hard. And I, um, if I had a learning disability or a disability that needed to be accommodated, I cannot imagine how hard it would be. Yeah, it's sad not to be with everyone else right now. I mean, I like the experience of having the teacher right there in front of you and your friends and your classmates right next to you that ask questions too. It does make the material a lot more accessible when you feel like you're in school instead of just sitting at your computer all day. And, you know, even though I'm an abled person, that engagement is really important to people who are disabled, like for many people who are disabled. It's not as easy to learn online. Especially um, the Association on the Higher Education and Disability found that students with disabilities were more likely to have difficulty when accessing the internet, technology training and support, course materials and assessments. I'm not sure, like, it must be so difficult to, to have those difficulties because 
that's what you have to do every day is log on to Quercus and access your assignments, write and write and write and be on Zoom all day. It's tough. And it's even tougher when you have a disability. I know our school, U of T, has accessibility services. And I actually didn't know too much about it. I did some research, but the only thing I was able to find was really um, U of T stuff. So I've heard that you have a little more like personal experience or experience from your friends to talk about it. Yeah, so I personally have not petitioned to accessibility services, but I do volunteer as a volunteer note taker. So you know, I upload my notes for classes and I've had to help. I've helped a friend like file their paperwork for accessibility services. And let me tell you, the amount of paperwork that they have to file is thick. Like they have to fill out things from like, cause they were uh, getting accommodation, I think for their anxiety. Um, and other mental health um, issues that they were suffering with. They had to file a lot of documents with proof from their therapist, their psychiatrist. Um, they had to fill out a lot of accessibility like forms. And it was just a huge process. And after that, they had to like go to accessibility, turn in their stuff, talk to the person who may or may not grant them their like accessibility like accommodations. And after that, they would have to wait till they like emailed them and told them like, oh, if you are qualified to get any like accommodations at school. And I know in the previous episode, I was talking about mental health and how, like, there's no threshold that you have to meet to go to therapy. But at least at U of T, like, there is a pretty high threshold, in my personal opinion, to meet in order to get accommodations. So, like, I can't imagine, like, how people with, like, who need mild accommodations, like, feel when they can't get any services, like, or they can't get accessibility services to, like, like, recognize them and, like, their profs aren't accommodating either. Like, I don't know what they would have to do. Like, I have a friend who has ADHD and, like, they tried to get, like, accommodations, but I guess, like, they just weren't in in need of it enough. So the school didn't grant it to them. And, like, it usually is okay for them when they have, like, an understanding prof. But, like, when they don't have understanding profs, it becomes really, really hard for them. That being said, like, don't be discouraged um, in reaching out to accessibility services because you never know if you qualify, like, Perhaps, like, the person who was reviewing my friend's petition that day was not having a good time or, like, didn't think that they needed it. But, you know, like, if my friend petitioned again, who knows if they would, you know, get accessibility services this time. So, like, don't be discouraged. If you think that you need accessibility accommodations, please, please, please go to the accessibility services that your school has and try to apply for them so that you can get the best help you can need, you can get. And... If you unfortunately cannot get recognized by the services center, then, like, please reach out to your professors as well. Like, even if you think your prof is, like, really strict or whatever, they may be someone who understands um, your problems and will be more accommodating during these times. Also, if you guys are listeners, our listeners um, are having difficulties in online learning related to your disability in general, please, please, please reach out to us at HealthX Visuals on Instagram or on our website uh, through our link tree in our Instagram account because we would love to hear from you and we would love to hear about your experiences. Um, we do have a blog that's running on our website and we would love to write up or interview you about your experiences. Yeah, so our next segment is going to be visuals to audio, so we're going to transition to skin issues. Let's move on to our last segment, visuals to audio. Our infographics have been focused on skin issues lately, so we wanted to join in on the conversation too. 
To start, since winter is here for most of us, well, not where I am in Taiwan or where Adrienne is in Florida, but since winter is here for most of us in North America, where our audiences, let's talk about some things that we can do to keep our skin healthy. The first thing is pretty basic, uh, is to use plenty of lotion. When your skin is dry, it cracks more easily and it can even bleed easier. So this is really bad right now because pathogens can have a way to enter your body, especially with COVID. Um, the disease can enter through your bloodstream. So, you know, we want to keep ourselves safe and prevent things from happening like that. Yeah, and I'm looking at you too, man. Skincare is for everyone. I'm sure you can find lotion that's set in cobalt blue or mountain sweat or hockey. What are some other manly scents I would know? Well, I don't know about manly scents such as like musk or whatever, but I'm sure if you're really that afraid of like feeling girly or being deemed girly for using skincare, you can find a lotion that says for men in big bold letters if you'd like. I mean, jokes aside, it's seriously, seriously important to, you know, keep your skin moisturized during the winter time. I don't know about your mom, but my mom often tells me to wear gloves after I lotion my hands because outside the wind is really cold and damp and it can dry out our, like my hands like super, super quickly. And I've had experiences in Toronto, like not with my hands, but like with my face. Like I usually moisturize my face pretty well. And like in the winter when I walk outside, like in five seconds, like my face is completely dry. And even if I put like oil on my face, like I sometimes put rosehip oil on my face, like when I rosehip, rose seed oil on my face, uh, like my skin still dries out really fast. Instead of five seconds, however, it's now just five minutes, but that doesn't really make that much of a difference. Yeah, there was one time I was carrying boba out just for five minutes in the cold, and my, my, the skin on my hands was, like, super red as soon as I got inside. It was crazy. It was like, I almost got frostbite. So take it seriously and wear your gloves. Yeah. I've also just recently found out that you still have to wear sunscreen in Toronto, where you see the sun, like, one day out of 30. Yeah, you do, actually. Like, on sunny days in the winter, like, the snow reflects the sun. But... Even when it's cloudy, the UV rays can still penetrate the cl- through the clouds. And you should really wear sunscreen every day to avoid the risk of skin cancer and wrinkles. So, like, if you don't want to age, wear sunscreen. Like, there's this picture of a trucker. I don't know if you've seen it before. But, like, say so he took a picture of his face after 20 years of, like, driving a truck around the U.S. And, like, one side of his face was super wrinkled and the other side of his face was not as wrinkled. Because the side of his face that was super wrinkled always faced the window where the sun came and it sh- shined on his face. The sun damage, like, caused his skin to wrinkle a lot more than the other side which shouldn't have like sun damage so like if you don't want to age and you don't want to get them wrinkles like please 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 wear sunscreen that's crazy i've never seen that photo before i'll have to check it out so to summarize we should use plenty of lotion wear our gloves and use sunscreen to keep our skin safe in winter time yeah that's right if anyone's looking into getting into skincare um, and wants to know what they need actually a very basic skincare routine which is perfect for most people is just using a cleanser moisturizer and sunscreen um, obviously, like, get the cleanser and moisturizer for your skin type, like, find out if you have oily, dry combination skin and get the, like, the, uh, the lotions and cleansers that are good for your skin type, but that's all you really need as a starting point. Like, you can get into the really complicated serum stuff later on when you think you're ready or if your skin feels ready for it. So let's move on to talking about some myths surrounding skin conditions. I'm sure there's a lot of them. Um, Our first myth is that skin conditions are inherently dirty or are easily fixed by washing your face. This isn't true at all, and it's actually kind of hurtful. This myth is used against people who have cystic acne or eczema. And people with these skin conditions are trying their best to take care of their skin, so don't make rude comments like this. I actually personally suffer from eczema. Well, like, I don't suffer from it, but, like, you know, I have the condition. And um, I'm lucky that it's not on my face and it's just on my 
fingers and toes, so people don't usually notice it. But I'm going to tell you that washing my hands isn't going to help get rid of my eczema because eczema is a condition that usually forms out of like your skin being too dry. And I'm pretty sure my eczema happened in the first place because I washed my hands so much to the point where like my skin got so dry and it couldn't recover properly. So I started like trying to protect myself with like this like thick skin I have on my hand and like it cracks a lot because you know my hands are too dry. I like, you know, if someone has like a condition like cystic acne or eczema, like please don't point it out to them. Like if they can't fix it in 30 seconds, you know, don't point it out to them. It's not going to change anything. It's just going to make them feel bad. And, you know, it's bad for their self-esteem. Yeah, that's a good rule, the 30 second rule. And also it's a good point about like washing your hands too much can actually make it worse because people say wash your hands, wash your face, but that's not always going to help. So our next myth is that skin conditions affect everyone the same way, regardless of race. Yeah, that's not true at all. Like, I think it's common knowledge that people with fair skin are at more risk of sunburn and skin cancer because they have less melanin to protect their skin, but people with darker skin aren't invulnerable either. People with dark skin actually have more melanin, so their skin is more susceptible to inflammation and injury. So things like hyperpigmentation or dark spots form much more easily after an irritation such as a skin bite, like sorry, an insect bite, or like you know, someone scratching their arm accidentally. Actually, Dr. Amy McMichael, the chair of dermatology at Wake Forest Baptist Medical Center, noticed that many people think psoriasis doesn't affect African Americans, but in fact it can affect them and often more severely. If you don't know, psoriasis is a skin disorder that causes skin cells to multiply up to 10 times faster than normal, and this can make the skin build up into these bumpy red patches that are, that are covered in white scales, and these can grow anywhere, but it usually appears more on the scalp, elbows, knees, and lower back. And this is where the difference comes in. Psoriasis actually appears as more purple patches or a dark brown color with gray scales in, co in comparison to white skin. And this issue is important because CDC, as well as other sources, have found that there are few black dermatologists and doctors aren't as good as diagnosing conditions on black skin due to myths like you discussed. Dr. McMichael, who you mentioned, is actually the only black woman to chair a university dermatology department in the U.S. Wow, talk about the lack of representation here. Fun fact, a medical student in London actually created a handbook to teach doctors and medical students how to diagnose skin issues on black and brown skin. This student is a black student himself, and he was really tired of people diagnosing his compatriots wrong. And so he wrote this book called Mind the Gap, a handbook of clinical signs in black and brown skin. And if you're listening in and you're in healthcare or you're looking to work in healthcare, I think this would be a really great book to check out because it's important to be able to diagnose issues across different races and different skin. Now, speaking of prejudices, our final myth is that all skin conditions are contagious. Nope, not true at all. Bacterial and viral infections like MRSA, cold sores, and shingles are mildly contagious. But most con skin conditions that are long-term, like eczema, psoriasis, illegal, and rosacea are not contagious at all and honestly it's really hurtful to assume that they are yeah like um there's this incident in australia there's this girl named carly finley who's a disability activist and she was barred from entering a taxi by the taxi driver because he said that he would have to clean out his car after because of her skin condition like she doesn't have a, a contagious skin condition she has this condition called ichthyosis um and what it is is that it is like what we call this fish scale condition where a person's skin becomes dry, scaly, or thickened. And unfortunately for Carly, it shows up on her face. So um, the taxi driver saw her and was like, don't get in. I don't want to clean my car after, which was really hurtful to her. And she said this hasn't been the first time uh, it happened to her. And it's really disheartening to hear that people like 
do things like this due to misconceptions. Yeah, that's terrible. Discrimination against skin conditions actually existed for centuries. It's terrible. Like leprosy or Hansen's disease was labeled as a sign of deathly illness that was caught easily in the Middle Ages. And people were often excluded from society because of it. But in reality, it requires prolonged close contact with someone who has leprosy to actually catch conditions. So we hope that you don't discriminate against people with skin conditions and better understand what they're going through. That's the end of our visuals to audio segment this week. We hope you've learned a lot about skin care. So that's the end of our podcast. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of HealthX Audio. I hope you enjoyed your time with us this week. And we hope to see you in two weeks where we bring you more content and hopefully much better content. If you have any comments or suggestions, DM us ideas at our IG at HealthXVisuals or at our Gmail at HealthXVisuals.gmail.com. All right. See you all next time. Bye. Bye.